Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. Welcome to a very special edition of Nerd Initiative's Turn a Page, the comic book club for Nerd Initiative. I am your host. My name is Ken M. I'm the host of the OD Page podcast. I'm also Nerd Initiative's comics editor-in-chief. To my right, your left, I let him do his intro. We're doing a reverse, but coming at you live and direct straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studios. My name is Off the Cuff Tom, Nerd Initiative's pop culture connoisseur. As always, it's a pleasure. And joining us, assistant editor of Nerd Initiative Comics, the one and only Marty Stoke. Marty, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. And when we do special editions like this, we mean it because there is a comic that is out right now from Image Comics that is absolutely mind-blowing from the crazy artwork that is in there because the imagery will just blow you away to the story that is really coming across to some as a horror book, but really it's all about family. And we are very fortunate enough to have the creative team behind it joining us today for First off, a WGA-nominated writer that's making one hell of an impression with this book. Welcome to the show, Noah Gardner. Noah, what's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Joining us as well is a writer that is a friend of the show, arguably the only Miami Dolphins fan I can ever talk football with. <laughs> but you know his work in the comic realm from Power Rangers and Rogue Son from the Massiverse. Please welcome back to the show the one and only Ryan Parrott. Ryan, what's going on? Man, it's, a, it's a pleasure, even with that devastating intro. <laughs> Well, we had to bring it up. I was getting DMs from other people in your initiative. Like, you got to mention about football on here. I'm like, okay, I'll just make one quick oh, reference oh. and we'll be done. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deal. I'll lick my wounds later. Yeah. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, an artist whose work is absolutely breathtaking no matter where you catch it. If it's in blue and green, razor blades, or Department of Truth, please welcome to the show the one and only John J. Pearson. John, what's happening? Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you all for coming on the show. And like we said, this book that we're going to be talking about is one that you should have had picked up on Valentine's Day because it is truly a gift that just keeps on giving no matter what, because it's all the story about one Abraham Morganson and his family. And the story behind it is just like we say, it's so complex. It's it's horror. It's it's family. It's action. It is so much involved. And that is the infernals. So, gentlemen, how did this whole story and series come to be? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it all goes back to Ryan and together um, when we were when we were <laughs> younger than we are now, when we were assistants at a production company, and and uh, we had always wanted to we had always wanted to collaborate on something. We worked uh, we worked on a on, on a feature script on a movie script probably a few years ago. And when Ryan sort of getting a foothold in comics, I, I I would just keep pestering him, saying like, "Hey, dude, we got to find a comic." Like I I'm I'm just starting to get the meet. Uh, I was getting some lot of comics for adaptation i was falling in love with all this shit that was being done i just like uh i and i was just to kind of want to try my hand at it. and so i would i i would brian lists of various ideas for comics that i thought would be cool and he didn't think any of them would be cool <laughs> so, <laughs> i i say this in part for effect but we would go back and forth and we were just trying to find the idea that we would sort of like lock into that we wanted to keep about. And, and I've always found that kind of 
when I'm searching for new ideas, I like to go back to these archetypes that have always been interesting to me. And, and, you know, I was always fascinated by this conception of the Antichrist as a, as a child. And, uh, I like to kind of go archetype and then think about a spin that I haven't seen on it. Uh, see, see a character at a different stage in their life or from a different perspective. Uh, I went to Ryan Temple as like, I think I just said, Hey, Hey, what if the, what if the Antichrist was dying? Like, what if it was the end of his life? Immediately, we just this mythology and this story, and that's sort of that's sort of how you know it's going to be something worthwhile is when you want to return chatting about it. And so that was kind of the the genesis of of the concept, at least. Yeah, I, I would know. Like, no, it was they were all good ideas you sent me. They all I've gone back and looked at them. I was wrong. Uh, there were good ideas. There's 20 good ideas for comics in there. With this, this was like a hit that I literally I was like, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. go right ahead. Yeah. I was like, where the fuck has this been? Like, that was like my first reaction. Like, this is the best cipher. I was, I love this so much. So, like, it was really fun when it came across because I think I had other projects I was working on at the time. And then it basically was the only thing I wanted to, work, like, kind of push to the side for a little while, which is that's how exactly how you know it's something you want to see. And I thought what I liked about it so much was just like, it felt like an idea that when you read it, you have we seen this right? Like, there's this has to have already been out there. And I'm sure there's some version of it out there or some thing, but listen was the one that I thought, oh my gosh, it is really really when we brought the idea of children and the, the succession element and all of it, and this idea that it could be sort of about about sort of parents and their children, his perspective to his relationship with his relationship to his children. And when you started seeing parallels that way, and then we knew we could actually use like the supernatural as a way to be a for for all the crazy shit in your family. That's when it was just like it just got it got easier and easier and easier to sort of see the whole story. And and that's when I was like, oh man, this is going to be too much fun to do. Oh, absolutely. So if no one, if you know, everybody's always down here, especially because this is one of them special editions. How is it, how can you give a nice brief synopsis to those who have not, which we don't understand why, picked up this book yet? I mean, I think the, the quickest synopsis would be that this is, it's a story about an aging antichrist who has, over the course of his life, you know, created this massive criminal empire all in service of, uh, you know, accomplishing his sort of the task he's been he's been, you know, born with, which is to bring about the end of the world and the end of his life. He's sort of thing upon his inability to have done the thing that his father put him on Earth to do. Uh, and he's sort of grappling with more he's grappling that kind of existential crisis about his own uh, abilities as a as a man and as a son. And simultaneously, he's figuring out sort of the practical problem of which of his children, all of whom are sort of troubled in their own way, having grown up in this environment, which of his kids going to saddle with the kind of horrifying um, responsibility, but in this family, the sort of honor of, of carrying out and ending the world. And so it's, uh, it's a story about, um, you know, his existential crisis. It's a story about the kids' existential crises. And this sort of interfamily conflict arising out of um, out of the Antichrist's impending. Right That's there, crazy. That's awesome. Uh, questions for you. We it had Michael on earlier, and we heard 
from him that this was kind of your first comic book that you've ever written. Talk to us about your experience in creating it with this, like this team of seasoned veterans and what that was all like. Yeah, I mean, I, I was incredibly fortunate to have these seasoned veterans, right? I, I don't know what it would look like uh, if I didn't, but it's it's like, uh, it, it's been a really rewarding experience creatively, um, you know, and in other ways, it's just this story. I, I do love the medium. It's something I've kind of, I didn't really grow up with comics and I came to them later. And, uh, you know, I was, I already had my career as, as a screenwriter. So I was kind of always coming at it. When I came to comics, I was really trying to understand the craft of it. I was really trying to understand how you put something like this together uh, and how, how I could, uh, that I've developed in, in my career uh, to this medium. And, uh, and so I'm fortunate enough that some overlap there just in terms of how you're structuring scenes. I mean, there's, there's certainly continuity in terms of just the basic principles of telling and generating tension. Uh, it's been a learning experience in terms of, you know, I, I, I've said it before, but comics really is a medium where it's about what you're not saying as much as what you are saying. And it's about what you sort of interplay between dialogue and imagery in a way that, you know, not a lot of mediums are. So figuring out that, figuring out the rhythm of a scene and figuring out how quickly you need to be getting into sort of the next piece of information. If I was left to my vices, there'd be a much more bored, right? So that was why having having veterans or a sort of steady hand like Ryan and John uh, and have to be like, you know, showing me how things needed to move and how the rhythm needed to adjust was you know, a sense. Otherwise, this wouldn't have been anything like what it is now. So I, I, I kind of have to ask. You mentioned, you know, the art and and with Ryan helping writing. Like sure. when it comes to the art, because geez, Louise, like holy crap, the art is incredible in this book book mm -hmm. and it, it's it's amazing it looks like there's like old school art with the amount of detailed line work so john i need to know two things like did these guys give you uh, on a scene and and how are you drawing it are you drawing it digitally because it doesn't look digital it looks like you're, you're drawing it on a pure almost because you can see all of the the intricate intricacies in in the lines and the shading and it's a it's a thing of beauty first of all thank you very much it's very kind of you to say um i mean i think with the the scripts it ryan and noah have kind of perfect balance by giving the correct level of direction and um I think they they get real cinema in the script, but they do give me enough leeway where I can play and I can kind of um, um, the the words that they're, they're kind of giving me through the the dialogue and narration, um, which is my sweet spot. I, I really like emotive storytelling, and I like things will um, convey a, a, a deeper sense and a deeper feeling through the images rather than it just being purely illustrative. So yeah, it's it's so so I think some of the stuff I know in the first issue, especially there was a lot of film references. Say um, we envision it like this, but then other bits it was a lot looser. Um, especially some of the splash pages in the first issue, where it was we had these demons from across different cultures, and then 
just let me run with it, which is absolutely sensational. Um, so yeah, so a lot of fun with this. And the the process, it's it's kind of a mixture of digital and traditional. With this, it's probably more more digital, um, purely because of timeframes. Um, if I had the time, I would do it all traditionally, but it's just the case with. But I'm a sucker for that painterly um, kind of really tactile feel. I come from a fine art back, like the the feel of things, and I feel like a, uh, a a lot of texture can actually communicate more than something that's just flat. I feel like that importance of the visuals than the the more kind of figurative elements. So um, yeah, even though a lot of it is digital, I try and um, wrap that feel and that texture to it. Yeah, it's pretty that's pretty amazing to have it come across that way, being mostly a digital medium with with what you're doing i thought it was like old school you know the old school books with with dc and marvel where they have all of the intricate line line work and and shading just awesome especially with the character designs that you guys are are creating you know it's it's just insane you guys are pulling this stuff ryan one one follow-up question to you because i'm so used to reading rogue sun you know rangers you know massiverse stuff this is this is very different than what you're what what I've traditionally seen you do, and I I, I know well what writing kind of in a different in a different medium um, been or how has that been has that stretched you or is this something that you've done or want to get into more? Um, yeah, it's been different stuff. It's, I mean, how what do you mean? This is exactly like Power Rangers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, actually, I think it was an interview we did a few weeks ago. Somebody said it, and I told this. My buddy said, He goes, This is your showgirls. Oh, and <laughs> and then me into that idea of like, I'm trying to break outside of my, I'm Elizabeth Berkeley, and I'm trying to break free of my, uh, break free of my. Uh, what people give me <laughs> but um no it's it was a lot of fun it's been it's been it's been i've done horror stuff in the past before like dead pretty dark um in some spots but this is the one i think the first one where i was like oh yeah we can swear and actually like really dig some dark things and it's been pretty helpful and like let's push it a little farther let's go a little bit more let's see if we can do that and so um i enjoy that part i think it's a it's fun to try and like the thing that's doing this book in general was like you go in with the idea and you know it's going to be dark because you're doing stuff with the religion antichrist and all that stuff but like they hide it up and then when john put the all of a sudden it was like oh okay that's what this book is like it's like it really doesn't become anything more it's sort of like like in your head and then once the script movie's like then all of a sudden you go okay that's who that character is that's what they look like that's how they're going to talk and then you adjust accordingly so the fun part was that first draft of the first script and then like i think we wrote the second draft and then we got the first art on, on issue one and then it made us go back and rework some too because all everybody sounded a little bit different everybody looked so that part has been really fun because like you said, when you work with Rogue Sun and 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 when I work with Power Rangers, those characters are established. Those worlds are established. I already know what that stuff's gonna be when I write when I sit down to write it the first time. But this is a little bit more of a back and forth, which I which is uh thing and fun and and more collaborative. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. It's really yeah. nice wall. I love your wall, by the way. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, I got got it got got a couple of things i've got a my, part of my massive verse wall you can kind of see yeah my wife Gorgeous. hates it my wife hates it <laughs> she told she put a limit to the, that i'm allowed on my wall I had to move some stuff into the basement but you know whatever whatever keeps the wife yeah, happy 
<laughs> uh, that's fair enough. So when dealing with issue one, and when you finally completed it, was there a moment, because obviously there's so many elements involved here with Abe and his kids. Was there any point that you, after you got done with it, you're like, did we take this too far? Or is it one thing with writing a story that's this dark is like, there's really no off limits to where you could go? Well, I don't know if we, there was a conversation about a particular scene that I think we're like, do we really want to set that higher? And I think that, <laughs> that was, you know, like, maybe we don't want to go there, but ultimately you know it's it's this i don't want to go on a rant here but i, I won't but like there's this thing of like no really do it do it do it, do it. we love oh, yeah. no yes. give it give it give it give it give it come on this would be my you. jj reddick <laughs> yeah yeah it'll be great no that's all right someone get a soapbox please <laughs> but, yeah. there we go but it's interesting how like like okay this is like i've had people talk about rogue sound and they're like oh you know asshole and i'm like okay is he an compared to the joker is he an asshole like because like he saves people's lives but because he uses like foul language in his People think he's an asshole. And so I've always been like dealing with that concept of like, you know, unlikable main characters. I I, I enjoy unlikable main characters. I mean, people you can't quite peg and that over the course of a story, people grow and change because I like that stuff. So when we sat down to do this, like we talked a lot about like, do we need these characters to be likable? And how do we do that? And I think we came around the idea that it's not that they need to be likable. They just need to be relatable. We need to understand who they are, what they do and what. And so I feel like when we found there wasn't anything that was sort of off limits. It was just going, if we do go far, if we do have people do things, we have to be understanding that it would arc them in a different direction. So we all, you know, yeah, like, no, I think we, you know, it, it became, um, it was always the sort of thematic through line that everybody in this, in this book whether they were on the side of the good or the bad or in whatever it was, everybody was going to be flawed. Like we were going to see the sort of grotesqueries and weirdness of humanity writ large, just kind of splashed all ages. And that was something that, you know, to, to, you know, talk just about how John's arms the book, like even in the most mundane scenes, it has this kind of expressive, dangerous intensity and yeah. that kind of encouraged us or at least, you know, reinforced this notion that across like in every panel of our book, we're going to some of the darkness and absurdity of humanity. And I use the word absurdity kind of intentionally because that you can derive from that, right? Like in, in seeing just the kind of extent to which human beings act in this kind of ugly, you know, counterintuitive, self-destructive way, sometimes sadistic, sometimes masochistic, just troubled, we're all troubled people, uh, you know, in sort of making that a kind of common theme, we can derive a little bit of the, and, and that's something that we always wanted to maintain and and would help and we think does offset some more intense moments some of the more scary stuff some of the more unconscionable things that our character does characters do so um yeah maintaining that balance has been really essential and has been facilitated largely by the just the, the quality uh, and and expressionism of, 
of his work. But we really could not strike that balance without John doing what he does. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think the um, the is for like somebody the other day about the first issue. They're like, "Oh, I really like it when you introduce the like the bad guy," and I was like, "Who? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's like there's no real like likable like characters in that first issue. They're all, yeah, they're like, all. Um, but that's that's great though because it's like when you're introducing them and you're setting the parameters for what personalities are it's fantastic because in that you can look at the layering of the nuances and and get to know what they're really like and for me that's really interesting it's like i don't really like the like overly nice characters of people that are presented i don't like heroes because they're, they're fundamentally boring all the time i love people that are flawed and i like people that are chaotic and i like people that are just kind of scum because there's that part to them where i'm like that's awesome i can relate to that or i'm like that's awesome my blood that's not me so playing with that and thinking about the different nuances yeah. within these characters absolutely something and just how that can be balanced um with the the kind of evil evil setting of them being the spawn of satan now with a bad there's a bad pitch, but like Dud, like, think about Dudley in Harry Potter. Like, they for five movies, six books, whatever, he's the biggest <laughs> fool ever. And then at the end, when he walks up to Harry and he's like, you're a waste of space to me. It's the greatest moment. It's my favorite moment in all the books. Is the weird moment. Harry's like, what the fuck? And, like, you got that <laughs> because you have that bad guy for five or six books do that cool, fun thing. And you don't get that if everybody's nuts. So. It, it's it's a hell of an exercise pun intent it's a it's it's, it's a <laughs> really you know challenging exercise but one that we you know very intentionally sort of set for ourselves of starting book or every single one of our characters is doing something. And of course, there's sort of a, a degree of conflict for them. Every single one of them is in a place where they are doing bad things. And the, the goal is to, over the course of the five issues of this first arc, really kind of get to the point where we're actually rooting for them. And it doesn't mean that we're rooting for them to end the world. It doesn't mean that we're rooting for them to, you know, uh, kill or maim or hurt or whatever. It means that we're rooting for them just personally on it, on a character level to resolve whatever, to, to find whatever sort of looking for uh, a, a, and resolve that internal conflict that is so stark. With all these characters that you have going on here, exactly who are your personalities? This this is your baby, let's be honest. Who's your character that you relate to? And you want to take that one first? <laughs> uh, who I relate to? Uh Probably the goat. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> General Rampart. No, that's No, I don't mean the greatest of all. Uh, that's Dan Marino. Uh, but um, I, there. I, that's I, I, I mean, <laughs> see this. You see Pat, right? I know you. I <laughs> see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know who, uh, you no, know who I, actually had the goat? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Um, oh, uh, but viral uh, oh, no. now. I apologize. We're here no, I text, gentlemen. I know. I know. Sorry, guys. Um, I I so, like I like Jackal a lot. That probably enjoy the most because when we pitched him as a Manoa said it's this in one of the early things he's like he's a shapeshifter with, with an identity crisis and I was like that is the coolest thing I love that concept it's so simple and I I remember there was a several times in the early time to write him as the good guy quote unquote like I kept trying to like lean him into like he's really having a hard time with this 
And it was more like, no, he's just somebody who really wants the situation where he's really to be there for his family while also deal with his own sort of internal demons and and really wants to have the attention of his father is for the approval of his father, but doesn't know exactly, but has to do things that he doesn't like to get it. And I was like, yeah, totally relate to that. Under, yeah. That sounds Sorry, Dad. I don't mean that in that regards, but I understand that that need and that desire, and even if it means you're doing things that you might not necessarily. Yeah, I you know. I mean, I think I think this. Or it would be hard for me to say that I relate most simply because you know the stage life that he's in, but that the the degree of sort of internal exist sort of existential angst that he has, I certainly relate to, uh, and the sort of, um, weight of activation. I, I think it's hard to identify with that, but, um, I, I do think I, I also, I, I've increasing kinship with, uh, with B, the, the, the daughter, um, because, and I've said this before on a podcast, my, my, my dad, me, was 60 years old. So he was really at the sort of like entering the later stages of his life. And as youngest child, I had, it was sort of a blessing and a curse because I, you know, I, I had less time with my dad. I was more sort of detached from him just by virtue of that this was, you know, uh, he was not necessarily expected to be a father at this point in his life. But I also, it also gave me a kind of early awareness of mortality, which again, in a like that, that for a kid to kind of take on uh, and try to process as they're, as they're growing up themselves and kind of realizing and encountering the reality, but it also does give you perspective. And I think that's what I love about B is that even though she, and she's cynical and she's ruthless, like she has this, I, I what I, I think that she has the sort of best understanding of what's going on in the family. She ha she understands things sort of silently in a way that others don't. And we're going to see how that kind of um, is made manifest as the, as the, as the story goes along, but she really like gets it in a way that her older brothers don't because they're so sort of like myopically who's going to be in charge and how do I get family and what do I do? And she just by virtue of the fact that she's so young uh, is left to just kind of be the observer. I, I guess I really do some kinship with her uh, there. I think for, for me, it's, it's, it's her, um, which is not, I never really actually kind of like picked each one, <laughs> like unplanned each one of the kids, but yeah. Um, yeah. Nero just because, He's so so brash and so um, chaotic, and he's just he, he stands out between um, the two quieter siblings. But in uh, a lot of ways, that's just complete overcompensation. And he's um, it, it's weird because I think oh, the two seem far more mysterious, but I feel like Nero has um, maybe more vulnerability and more kind of mystery to it because of this front that's there and um it's yeah i th i think it's it's i always find it fascinating when you have these um intense characters that are trying to one thing and another um and yeah nero is just fantastic and plus is just so much fun to to, to um in the comic it's like every every single panel he's in is just an absolute pleasure to do he's just <laughs> insane um it's just it's sick but I, I feel like um he's 
somebody where um, I get chance to put with the nuance of his personality and the emotion coming through because it's it's all kind of there for show. Like he's kind of hiding it those or kind of behind the glasses or um, kind of being different people. He is just there trying to be some full time. And I don't think he's really sure what he's trying to be. Um, but yeah, it's I, I find that fascinating to, to, to play with. And that's one great thing about this is there's so many different characters, I mean, amongst the family, especially too with the proposition that's all centered around is with, I guess we'll talk a little bit about spoilers about issue number one, that Abe is dying and has to pass on his legacy to one of his kids. And it's almost like a question of like who is worthy between Nero, B, and Jackal. And then obviously we get a very great introduction introduction into all three just like a little peek behind like what they're really about but not enough giving everything away which i loved about it and then when we get to the end of it we're kind of having a setup where things are going into issue number two we have read behind the scenes issue number two but can we talk a little bit spoiler is spoiler free about what to expect with the next issue coming be quiet ryan yeah please absolutely ryan go oh he just said don't do it so page one i I think uh, you know in in issue two what People can, but we're, you know, the 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 thing that we're most excited about with issue two is that we're going to switch perspectives, right? Uh, and so the POV that we have, the narration that one is all Abe, it's all the patriarch, um, and that sort of dominates everything. And then in issue two, it's going to switch to Nero's perspective, and he's the one. And so we're going to start glimpse behind the curtain of, you know, not just what this is sort of a recurring theme for us, like not just the saying to his kids behind closed doors as he sends them off on this sort of mission to determine which of them is most capable and and to essentially his his family uh, in general is capable of carrying on his life's work. Uh, You know, we're going to see these little glimpses of what he's, how he's kind of meddling with each of his children and how he's kind of interfering with this because of course the fucking Antichrist isn't just going to give you a mission and it's going to be exactly what he says it is we're also going to be seeing the the sort of internal you know monologues of the this sort of internal thoughts of the characters and what animates them and what motivates them and things like that so that's that's a that's going to be a turn that we're really excited to share with people but um in terms of the plot uh the, the second issue is going to follow the the uh the sort of three kids um on the sort of beginnings of their mission which is to to go to the uh and to essentially turn a guy who is really good this sort of force of him uh to the side of evil so we're gonna see how they kind of bumble the their way through that mission and and try to figure it out and it may or may not go as end and there may or may not be wrinkles in there um but that's all going to be done sort of through nero's perspective and then uh with abe uh you know a, a, a past is going to show up and caught home as well so just as he is sort of dealing in the throes of of dying and right when he's should be trying to find some kind of peace and humanity and and reflection uh a really kind of sinister character from his past is going to show up and and upend the whole thing so uh, that's plot wise i think largely what we're working with and then there's also introduced in the first issue uh we're going to see how how they uh are going to stick around and maybe upend abe's plans in a different way too yeah too much too little 
Cole Bryant? I thought it was that, that was great. All right, good. <laughs> Danced around some stuff there big time, but it the Karen's guys keep continually to getting they continue to get better and better and better, you know, from the first issue to the second. And the stuff that you can I would say lay out a lot. Like you can tell there's a cinematic like take on it. Noah you know, with you saying you have that background, you can definitely see that as you read. Um, and John's long of 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 the art and the way that things are laid out in issue one and issue two definitely flow that way. They speed up right the, like the perfect pacing too, with you know speeding up into some of the stuff and to to hit you with those moments that are hilarious. And that's kind of what I love about this. It's like there's a lot of dark humor where you can't yes. but just like sit back and laugh your ass off when certain things happen and i it's great adult comic which i really enjoy it's not one i'm going to be reading with my daughter at at night but uh this is kind of one for for the i love the idea of you bring other kid and be like and that's when nero said fuck (laughs) this let's build another line and yeah (laughs) what's the line yeah yeah Yeah. definitely definitely not one for the kids but it's it's incredible um going back a little bit to the characters if you could pick any character to take over abe's per anyone who would it be and and why Uh I mean, that's a good, who would I want to end the world? (laughs) Very much. Uh, You know, I think that Abe, it's kind of a throwaway in the first, it's meant to be kind of buried in the first, uh, in the first issue, but he tells Sam that he wishes Sam could take over and my choice as well. I mean, Sam, because the, because the sort of task at end is so utterly automable, the only person who really seems to have his head wrapped, or like who can who can conceive of this and what it is, uh, and maintain posure in the face of all of the horror of humanity, is you know paradoxically this this go. So I would choose Sam be uh, take over for it. I just I just right? it never hit me that I realized we're just like, hey, who's gonna take over the family business? Can stand the love God? It's not gonna. My, my evil headed companion over here you're by far the best option yeah. <laughs> what a setup for like geez who are these kids that's funny i actually agree I, that would be the really not him yeah. or is like the most fun like he's like it's weird like he just he came through i think it's when you write an ensemble book you usually it's kind of like a table where like each character is like a, is like the bottom and if you feel the the story starting to like turn Earn, build another sort of prop up that side and i think abe kind of became the i mean somebody called him goat alfred at one point and i thought that was a really good way but like this the one that abe can be honest about has a familiar it's the only father figure he's ever had in his life like it's weird that that like i love that that character like the the only human connection he has is with a goat and i thought that was kind of fun and but yeah by far the most i, I yeah, yeah I, it's, it's good plans for him yeah we've said it a lot but it's this is a book that is that that is kind of defined by its and again just to 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 highlight john's artistic style because i think his you know art emphasizes this this is a book about like contrast and contradiction and you know what that means for the human condition and so i think it's really fun that we're talking about who's the most capable you know human here and the answer is men <laughs> well 
at the same we're asking of them and why we would sort of entrust them with a, a massive operation as end the world is this sort of just like do always these sort of layers of contradiction and contrast again highlighted by by john's capacity to do things that are like huge and sweeping and epic but also deeply intimate and both like very dark but also very emotional so um yeah, I, it, it's a really interesting question and, and kind of, I think, speaks to some of these core themes that we've been trying. I, I agree as well. I think it, it would have to be, it would have to be sad. <laughs> There's no other, no other option for anybody so else. One will not be Sam. Thank you. Or it could be Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think like I'm in that first issue as well, it's, he's ironically the most human character out of everybody that's presented. Uh, and yeah, I, I, you grow up. <laughs> I, th the last thing I'll say on that is just like, you know, the question is always begged, like, why does the devil send his son, this flawed, vulnerable human being to do the job of the devil, right? On mm -hmm. why, why does he send this sort of, yeah, this flawed kind of messenger? And I think we've talked about it before, but this idea that like a quick apocalypse is not what the Satan, is not what Satan is after. You know, maybe what he's after is just this kind of constant cycle of strife and infighting. And maybe that in and of itself is sort of apocalyptic and is the apocalypse. And it, whose quote is it? Uh, like hell is... Is that Sartre? Is it from No Exit? The hell is other people? Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's something that we've talked about a lot is just Abe even says it in the second episode. He says, am I dead yet? He's there's sort of he's there's a conflict, a sort of internal family conflict that's gone. And he asks Sam, am I dead yet? And Sam says, no, you're not. And he goes, well, shit, I thought this was hell. <laughs> and it's like, that is something we really want to explore is like, who hell is this family fight it is is family and we've it is is sort of entity and uh uh all these other forces be damned yeah because that, that's one thing to really take away from it too is just like it's not so much like the post-apocalyptic feel that's going on but it's really the family power struggle and that's one thing that shines through especially john with your art too because you really capture the moments that are in because once Abe divulges about what's going on, you see Nero, who's been more or less unhinged for the first episode, like really kind of come back down to earth for like a brief second. Talk to us a little bit about like the emotional journeys of the characters. Like when you're presenting this on, on page, like what is the biggest challenge about trying to like endear them to the audience with everything going on with all their emotions? From a visual point of view, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's a tricky one. Um, uh, I mean, I mean that's that's the challenge. That's the thing that's probably like one of the most enjoyable things about anything I do is how can you make that connection with with any character. But I think with these characters, um, that challenge is um, a little gaspy. Fundamentally, at first, they should be unlikable people because they're the spawn of Satan. But um, I think for me, from a, a kind of craft point of view, all about those little limbs and the nuances and the body language of when they're talking to each other or what they're doing and there might be something but you could there's that other layer through their gestures or 
through their actions. And it's just like when you're you're talking to any life, there's like um what's that thing where, where people say it's like the number of lies that you say is like everybody's always kind of telling to some extent. And there's that that lack of truth, I think, that we all have when we communicate, but through our body language and our gestures, it kind of betrays that a little bit. Um so that's the thing that I I really like when there's kind of people talking. And I know like that's um normally the thing that everybody hates when it's just talking page after page but that's what i love is like that's how can you make that really interesting and that really engaging and connecting to people I, um so- actually john to give actually john an example of what john did to give characterization to a char- for 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 jackal um we didn't really have we had maybe some different takes on go with, with sort of like the formless like the shaved head very clean cut thing but the sunglasses, when he takes the sunglasses or the wearied look under the eye, John, that was something. And it's really funny, though. That was something that I, I, I remember when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that's a really cool way to show the goal of the shifting and the job that he's taken. The And it's such a great, the glasses covering up the weariness of the eyes and making him look this, that was, that's such a great way to encapsulate the character. And that all came from John. That was, yeah. that was all him. Well, because well, like, it's, it's, it's very from me that two are out of the siblings you can't see their eyes um but for those two it's very different reasons um so you have jack these kind of mirrored he's a shapeshifter and it's like i think the eyes are the the thing that communicates most of all to anybody so it's that kind of ad reflection where it's um kind of other people seeing themselves whereas with b it's the opposite it's out um so I think for for me, like those two things are like huge parts of in the visual sense. Uh, people almost distrust them because you can't quite see what's happening, but in two kind of parallel ways. And then you have more, uh, uh, the body language is so in and so over the top and so intense to kind of balance out all three of. Them. That was a great question. I don't know. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but Jackal had it really comes through in the second issue. He has like this what appears to be a scar or maybe just the way the shading is on the side of his lip and when i was reading through it i was i was, was taken off by it not besides the glasses you know but i was looking i was like is there something going on with his with his face and is that gonna potentially convey something or foreshadow something or uh, it's something that i really noticed uh in in some particular scenes in in the beginning i don't want to go too deep into the details but uh, was that intentional or or was that just a shading thing i don't know how detailed you can maybe be on that so, so trying to yeah he's got like this scar on his yeah. kind of top lip um so it's it kind of it's almost like a kind of like cleft palate type thing yeah. but it's more like a scar um so yeah that's conventional from a, a character design point of view but again i think like with with jackal it's um he's almost featureless in a lot of ways apart from the the kind of eyes that are hidden so like trying to hide that but then there's just that little glimpse at something that the is like a battle scar because of all yeah. these missions that he's been on he's just like got this fatigue from just being in the field all the time they're the hack where it's identifiable that it's not just uh kind of smooth skin like like feature the yeah. purse it's, it's got to have something there that's an indicator of the type of person is that is underneath that i i've always and i will say that these were these were choices that you know um again the direction that we gave for just in design was largely conceptual and he kind of brought all of these cool details 
to it. And the way I've always read that scar visually was that each panel that you see bar, it kind of makes the face a little bit like fragmented, right? Which is just yeah. kind of a cool way yeah. of looking at, at Jack. Like there is this sort of split in him right down the middle, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it, it, it begs the question of like, if you, what is what is the rest of Jackal's body look? Where, what, what, where are there some other sorts uh, that show? But I, I, I've always just loved that because there's almost a sort of uh, Picasso <laughs> quality yeah. to it. Like, <laughs> you know, th these different sort of fragmented dimensions to one character. And um, that was, you know, well, again, anytime these designs would come through, uh, it would both reinforce what we sort of already knew about the character and then also tell us something new. And the, an extraordinary gift as as a, a writer and something that in my life, um, writing for film and television, I, I rarely get to do because so doing is kind of working in the development process where the only only people weighing in are studio executives and network executives. And, uh, that's not to say wrong or bad people, but it's very nice to be able to have a sort of a, a, a fellow artist interpret your work, tells more about your work that you would otherwise be able to know. I would say it, 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 it adds so much to the way it reads too, because it makes the first thing I thought of was, was like, man, what a badass, like, look at this guy and, and what was going on. And I had some ideas going and they didn't end up yeah. going to go. So it was awesome. <laughs> Awesome. I love I love when that happens when you can't really predict where the story or or what's going to happen like you have where something is going and it, and it what completely is different that's just one of the things that I love about visual medium of, of comics in general how visually it's saying one thing but you know the story kind of goes in a different well, direction issue, issue three is all uh is jackal's perspective so we'll uh we'll make sure to get that over to you ahead of time as well so you can check it out awesome well, thank you appreciate that now speaking of perspectives you know Death and Hell are a very universal worldwide concept, right? Have you considered any other hell-like creatures or characters from all over the globe, whether it's from different types of religions? Is there anything that you, you know, want to sprinkle in just a bit? Because I'll be honest, I I did I can't speak for the other guys. I did 14 years of Catholic school. So reading this, I'm like, yay, I know some of this. I I understand some of this. This is kind of fun. Sorry, Father. <laughs> Um, I think, jo I mean, jo like, to be fair, gets a lot of the credit for, like, the last splash page of um, of the first issue, which is, like, the sort of, like, you see all the little angels, and and he's done, a, like, we've gotten a lot of credit for, like, I love that you're on the nomination one, you guys are spreading it out, but, like, John's John's kind of done a lot of the research for us, God bless you. Because uh, <laughs> we're, wouldn't it be cool if there was a room full of angels? And, and, and then you get that back, and you're like, oh, this is different than what I was expecting. That guy is just eyeballs in a square, <laughs> which is awesome. And, but I think a little bit to try and find some different ways to, because we don't want it to be, it's not, I, I don't think we've had any tone, a criticism or a conversation about religion. It's That's not really what the story's about. Like it's a backdrop and it's a, it's an aesthetic, but it's not really not making, I think there's a thing about making comments about the similarities between corporations and religion, but I don't think that's directly the point of the story. Um, probably as far as I think I've to like expanding it beyond. Yeah, I mean, into I, going I, I think it really is like we're doing, we draw from various mythologies, 
you know, when when appropriate, because there, there will be sort of in the second issue, we're going to meet Asriel, who is essentially the like personal secretary to the devil. Right. And and <laughs> again, Ryan loves it fun for us to just kind of these parallels between sort of corporate culture, which is undeniably hellish and the actual sort of struggle hell. And so, you know, we chose that based in in part just on sort of sort of conceptions and understandings of sort of the mythologies of hell. But, you know, if there is, let's say, another character who serves a different function, there is some kind of, uh, I, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. It, it, it's sort of, we draw characters based on what their utility is kind of, uh, and, and that can go, that can go across denominations. It can grow, uh, go across different mythologies. Like it's the same way that in Sandman or like you're seeing characters, not just from heaven and hell, theological mythologies, but across different mythologies, we might start, start to play, right? Where are other kinds? Kind of uh, characters who are being brought in, who are different conceptions of deities or demons and things like that. Uh, and it, it's something we said before as well. But the um, in that first issue where you've got those you know, two splash pages, and uh, um, that they in, they intentionally have um, characters in there that are drawn from a wider scope of cultural reference i think the the story while it has this very big backdrop of the apocalypse and these huge odds it's about that it's, it's about drama and it's far more intimate so i think um setting things up and giving reference to it not just being this um kind of christian like uh like viewpoint that it is kind of larger than that in some ways hopefully dispels it being too much of a commentary on religion when it's, it's more about um kind of family family interactions and engagements and kind of these the day we all feel so the um the the imagery especially in that first issue yeah it's it's i kind of looked at a lot of a lot of uh representations cultures and tried to draw a lot of stuff in and yeah a lot of what biblically accurate angels kind of I, look like I, and, and i will I want to interject just to quickly shout out John one more time because you guys have, of course, read the first two issues. And um, in that final splash page of the first, when you meet the sort of boardroom, the corporate board of the angelic realm, and the guy at the head of the is the angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel. And John chose to, I don't even know how, to be perfectly honest, I don't even know how much of the store cracked at this point or whether or not this other one of these one of the many instances where john's art kind of directed us but you see that that gave wings covering eyes in this kind of slightly creepy way <laughs> like so you know he's that kind of concealings and we get the sense that there are sort of ulterior motives, even in the angelic realm. Uh, and that was brilliant choice from John. And it really dovetailed completely with what we were doing with the character, because at the end of the day, whether it's a demonic presence, an angelic entity, all of these characters who are sort of manipulating humanity to their own ends, like there's something kind of sinister about that. There's, and so we are going to see as we go through this arc that maybe Gabriel and the angels aren't exactly like them to be. But if I have my way, you will see the, the demigod Steamboat Willie in the final issue. So <laughs> yeah. You heard her first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's available. Yeah. <laughs>
As long as there's an all-out battle with all of them, then I'm totally <laughs> in. <laughs> well, if you're talking about post-apocalyptic, I mean, yeah, you you kind of have to go there. I mean, and that's one great thing, too, about with John's work with the eyes, too, because the eyes usually tell the story of a person. And in this situation, we don't really see the eyes a lot. And that's one thing that adds to the mystery of the story, which... Like I say, there's so many different layers to this. It's nothing out there on the comic shops like this right now. Like we talk about just the elements you can combine, the horror, the humor, the drama. There's just so much into this that like, honestly, fans need to have this in their collection ASAP. Yes. Like there's literally no exception for them not to have at least one copy in their possession. None. Just saying. You are, you, thank you for saying that. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, this is only slated for five issues as of right now, correct? Yeah, the first arc is it, that we've signed is five issues um and 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 hopefully with uh with the support of our readers we can we can do a second arc because we have different ideas for for sort of extensions of this mythology and further stories that we can tell and uh we're starting to build those out now so i think the, uh i think we'll hopefully be seeing some more in the future is this also going to get a trade eventually uh after we get issue five yeah, 100%. Yeah. Excellent. But you don't want to wait until then. Trust me when I, you hear the sound of my voice, wherever you're watching, listening to this. The Infernals is truly something special. When you pick it up, you're going to get vibes of like old school, mature readers uh, stories, but it feels modern. It doesn't feel dated. The artwork is going to blow you away. The story is just, like I say, multi-layered. You never know what's going to happen on each page. And there's going to be something to take away from each issue moving forward. Issue one is out right now at the shops. Issue two is coming very, very shortly. You want to make sure you're running to your comic shops, making sure that it is in your pull list. Make sure you have the pre-orders in and make sure you have multiple copies because this will be one not to miss. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us. We definitely have to recap with it when the series is uh, first arc is done. Awesome. Absolutely. Man. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Anytime. The contact information for Noah, Ryan, and John is in the liner notes with this episode and also comicshoplocator.com because like we insisting, you need to go out, you need to go buy multiple issues of this. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I want to thank my team, Tom and Marty, for stopping by and having this interview. And my name is Ken M. Whenever you have a great issue in your hands, such as the Infernals by Image Comics, and you see somebody at the shop struggling to find something, hand yours off to them. Tell them to turn a page. We'll see you next time. Such wasted time Swiping left and swiping right On people you could know Cause anyone who's worth a damn Be worth way more than a picture could ever show You can find the right light Find the right angle And never find your soul And it can feel like a losing battle And this plot is full of holes This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up Talk to me A better way to spend our energy Just look up Talk to me time fables everyone has just one true love
God knows you're across this table And you're all I'm thinking of So look up Talk to me Swiping left and swiping right on people you could know 